Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson shares from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, the 14th part of the series, The Household of God. And now, here's Dave. First of all, I want to say thank you to the praise team for the wonderful leading this morning in praise. It's wonderful to sing out the grace of God together and trust that he will be continuing with us. Let's just look to him further in prayer. Lord, we acknowledge again that you alone are God. We acknowledge that your word is truth. And so we also would say, as did your son, and sanctify them by your truth. Thank you again for this word this afternoon, this day, uh, Lord, that it might touch our hearts, that you might breathe upon our lives, infuse us with hope, love, and joy, and your Son, the Lord Jesus, for we ask it in his name, amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, listening to the radio, as I sometimes do, and some of you were probably have heard this story because it was it was uh, one of those moments. For those of you who like Bill Gaither, he was talking on the radio and saying, you know, the reason why I get up in the morning, oh, I really look forward. I, the reason for me getting going in the morning so I can have that afternoon nap. And I thought, such a statement from a man who has been serving the Lord faithfully for over 80 years, but I sure can start to identify with that. The older ones here know the humor in that joke. The younger ones don't get it, but you will. (laughs) This uh, passage that we're looking at this day is really um, a a cool passage because it... uh, It reminds us that Paul's at the end of his life. And so this book talks about what his real priorities are at the end of his life. He's he's almost as if it was making up a will, a last will and testament to his son Timothy. His departure is at hand. He knows he's about ready to kick off those sandals and get out of here. And he's looking forward to heaven's glories. But in the meantime, he's really concerned that Timothy, like all of us here, would come to some reminders. And so he's at the end of his life. You know, in the church at Ephesus, there were false teachers. We already discussed that a little bit uh, from our study at the beginning of this first letter, 1 Timothy. And when you read that First Timothy, you discover they had all kinds of people coming forth and bringing forth all kinds of false teachings. We'd call it today just nonsense, but it was being accepted. And so, Paul reminds us that life is kind of like this little game. You know, you can pull out the blocks, you can pull out the bricks, 
and you can keep pulling, but if you happen to take your Bible and apply it that way and keep pulling and keep pulling and pulling and saying, well, this part of the Bible I just, I can't accept. And this part of Scriptures I don't get, so I'm just going to yank it out of the Scriptures. And eventually you end up with the blocks going down. Your belief structure tumbles. See, Paul is trying to encourage the believers through Timothy because Timothy has a challenging job ahead of him. He's got the letter of 1 Timothy to apply and he's having problems because he needs to be reminded to rekindle the flame. And so Paul sends a letter. Now, when you get mail, I'm sure some of those are good letters. I got one this last week. It said I had a, an amazing opportunity to win a million dollars. And uh, it, sold me, it told me all of the things that were going to happen should I win that million dollars. But I, first of all, had to buy something <laughs> and get into the contest. All those who bought were the eligible people in the contest. Well, you know where they were coming from. And I hope you're not the one that goes ahead and keeps ordering those little trinkets in the hopes that you're going to be the, the lucky one. But uh, mail comes in various forms. And then, there's, of course, there's, uh, there's William. He comes in the mail all the time. Bill, you know, you have, you've had him. Um, uh, he comes and uh, we reluctantly open those envelopes. And then there are other envelopes where there are nice fat checks. Sometimes uh, it could be a tax refund. It could be something else that's come to, to your attention. Maybe it's a check someone's sending to you. And then there are the correspondence, the letters, letters from those you love and sometimes those letters that you don't really want to read from those who are not getting along with you. But nevertheless, letters are an important ingredient today. Mail service in the letter side of the category is really down, but everybody looks at their phone and picks up their mails instantly, and and uh, we have a an instant service that seems to work relatively good. Um, if you're one of those ones, just remember, if you send me an email, I may not see it until 48 hours later, so don't expect me to suddenly give you a call if you haven't reminded me of the fact that I've got an email because I'm not really one of those ones that's just constantly on my phone looking at my email. Nevertheless, Paul sends a letter to Timothy and he reminds him to rekindle the flame. You see, he had given them already a letter which we called 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy, of course, describes the need for changing how we do things. And so he's trying to set the church in order. There was a lot of problems in Ephesus at the time. And Paul reminds him in 1 Timothy, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern for solving problems and a pattern for the church, a pattern for prayer, a pattern for positions of leadership, deacons and elders and servants and, and, uh, and even widows. There's a pattern here. So remember, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I've had Christians tell me, Ain't no pattern in the Bible. You don't have to worry about leadership. It'll just happen. And, you know, most of those churches, they meander along for a few years and then they just go the, the way of the dodo. It just kind of go into extinction. Um, you know why that is? Because Paul had given 
revelation, like he was in touch with the living Christ. He was getting the information right directly from the source. We ought to pay attention to that. So, if you're one of those ones who said, eh, doesn't matter how you do it, doesn't matter what you do, just as long as your heart is good before God, you have missed a very important ingredient. You ever heard the story of um, the king, the emperor who wore no clothes? Yeah, yeah, some of us know that story. He was convinced by some really strong, smooth-talking salesman that there were invisible clothes. And he was such an amazing sales pitch that he bought the whole wardrobe of invisible clothes. And then he decided that he was going to show off his wardrobe. Not a good idea. And as he was walking through the parade, showing off his beautiful wardrobe to all the people, everybody was kind of not knowing what to do. Nobody wanted to say anything. What's our king doing? What's our emperor doing without clothing on? Finally, this little girl looks up. Mommy, why is the king got no clothes on? She was the one that you know, was courageous enough to say something. There's a lot of people today that have been listening to the wrong sources. They haven't been listening to the Word of God. And so, Paul reminds us how important it is to listen to God's Word, to move forward. He had been talking to the church at Ephesus. This is a map that describes where Ephesus is located. Way over in what was now Turkey, he's writing from probably Rome, over on the boot, over there on your left of your screen. And he's, he's sending a letter. Now, if you think that mail takes a long time today, how about in those days when you put a mail into a person and you were the courier, that person was the courier. They took a trip to deliver your mail. And that was what was happening. And Paul's ambassadors would take the mail, that the letters that he was sending, which we now have in our possession, and he would say, goodbye. Uh, tell us, you know, let them write back a letter. Tell us how things are going. And they would take a three-month or a four-month travel trip to get to Ephesus. It might be faster in some circumstances, but it was nothing like today. And so letters might never get there. The ship might sink on the process. Um, the dead letter file was big. And sometimes letters didn't make it and you have to rewrite the letter. We have the evidence of that because there are some letters that he alludes to that we have no copies of in the scriptures. And so as he moves forward, he tells Timothy in chapter 1 to rethink his gift. Because you see, Timothy has a problem like all, almost all of us. It's called timidity. It's called shyness. It's called, I just don't want to get involved. And here he is. He's been a servant of Paul. He's accompanied him on these missionary trips. He's gone all over the, the, the basin of the Mediterranean with Paul. But now Paul is not with him. Paul is in jail. And now Timothy is taking the letter or being given a letter by someone that's coming to him. And he's got a task. And his first job was to get the, the church in Ephesus in shape. But Timothy was very timid and struggled. 
That's why he could have to say to him, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Second Timothy 1.7. He needed to be reminded that that gift that he'd been given, that had been given to him, was something that was meant to be rekindled. It had to recover the word. For the word, it's the basis for why we practice and do and live and believe. And then, chapter 4, he's reminded, Paul wanted Timothy back. Come before winter, he says. Return with some of the things that I'd left. The cloak. It's getting a little cold in this prison. And he reminds him again that even though it's the last of his life, there is a life that needs to go on. So he reminds him again. And so, in this chapter, he puts it this way. You, therefore, my child, be empowered in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that which you have heard from me through many witnesses, commit these to men of faith who shall be able to teach others also. And you endure hardship as an ethical warrior of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, No one engaged in the heat of battle conducts himself with the strands of life business transactions and negotiations in order that he satisfy those he's enlisted under as a warrior. And if anyone competes in athletes, he is never crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The farmer who feels the fatigue of hard work is always the first partaker of his own fruit, reflect and understand what I'm saying. For the Lord will give you a complete perspective and understanding in all of this. Recall and bring to your memory Jesus Christ. Of the seed and lineage of David, he was out of the dead, according to my gospel, for which I undergo afflictions and trials as a criminal, even to the point of shackles. Nevertheless, the word of God is never shackled. Through all these channels, I remain behind bars and experience all these difficulties, all for the sake of the elect, in order that they also may secure salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, accompanied as well with eternal glory. And this is the word, the logos of our faith and belief. If we die with him, we shall live with him. If we stay behind bars, we shall also become co-regents, reigning with him. If we disavow him, Likewise, also, he will deny us. And if we feel unfaithful, he remains faithful. It's not possible for him to deny himself. So he's asking him to rekindle the flame. He's asking him to do the work of an evangelist. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. I believe that the gift that he was asked to rekindle was the gift of evangelism. He says, do the work of an evangelist. And in the beginning, he says, rekindle the gift. Stir up the gift of God. Evangelism. What is evangelism? It's simply telling others about Jesus. I'm not going to do a survey here or put anyone on the spot to raise your hands. But this past week has gone by, 168 hours of it. And I'm going to ask a question for you to ask your own heart. How many have you told about Jesus this last week? I can't talk about next week. That's, this is just the start of this new week. But last week, how many did you tell about Jesus? This isn't a guilt trip. 
This is just a sort of reflection on how we are doing the work of evangelism. Now, you say, well, what do you mean? I really didn't talk to anybody, but I, I did get some tracts out. I did leave some tracts in some various places. I did give out a few Bibles. Yeah, yeah, that could be considered telling people about Jesus. Luke 6.45 puts it this way. You say and talk about what you think about. Now, some guys here, I know, are thinking long and hard about Super Bowl. I don't know why, but that just sort of came to my mind today. But uh, some people are thinking about Super Bowl. Maybe not so many here. Maybe others are thinking about the, the Leafs and how they did or didn't do. Are you a believer? Um, but some of us think other thoughts. Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of heart brings forth what is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of their heart brings forth what is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart so a man speaks. What we say is a reflection of what we've been meditating and thinking about. If Jesus really means a lot to us, then we'll be talking about him. Not just out of compulsion or guilt, but we'll be talking about him because he's important. And so, Paul reminds Timothy five illustrations of how to make his point. How to move forward in rekindling the flame. And the first is the illustration of the sun. Timothy, you therefore, my child, be empowered in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be empowered in grace. Oh, I love that. For we are saved by grace, through faith, that not of works. We are saved by grace. What is grace? Grace is an undeserved gift. And we've been saved in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because we earned it. Not because we were religious. Not because we, we were fortunate to live in a so-called Christian land, which is post-Christian most part. But rather, it's because He has imparted it to us. He has said, live. Are you saved? Are you living in grace? Timothy needed to be reminded that grace was the only starting point, the only start for power in our lives. If we are to do what God has called us to do, it's not going to be because we've got ten little rules that we're going to keep every day. You know, I must read my Bible 15 minutes. I must pray for 10 minutes. I must witness for at least 10 minutes or, or two people. Um, you know, we can make all kinds of little rules but what the Lord wants is he wants us to be living in grace. And that grace means that we're walking in a different fashion than we would before. He reminds them that the reason for that is that we are a generation away from extinction. As Christians, the church has been going for about 2,000 years since the day of Pentecost, a little over. And this experience of passing on the baton is a very important event. Have you guys liked to watch the relay races in the Olympics? I, I, love, I love the relay races. My heart always goes right up 
to my throat. Uh, I get real tense when I see the baton being passed because I've seen the occasional dropping of a baton and it's almost a virtual failure for that team when that happens. And Paul is reminding Timothy that, Timothy, you have a job to do. You're going to teach these other men who will then teach others. There is a sequential. And so in 2015, this church embarked on Vision 2020. Yeah, that was, the, that was what it was called in 2015. And we held the meetings here. There was committees, work planning. And here we are, 2015. I wonder if you've taken a chance to inventory how well we did against the 2015 goals and now 2020. How, how well did we do? It's not about dressing. It's about heart. Yes, there's been changes, and it's been good and encouraging. But the, are the changes also taking place in our heart? These two individuals are making a good transition, but it's not very accurate from the biblical point of view. The first runner should be looking like me or, or some of the others that have either gray hair or no hair or, or, or whatever, and, and, and maybe with a wheelchair or, or a walker or something else. But the, the imagery of the first gentleman is he's almost, well, he's, he looks like he's actually in better shape than the, the second. And, and the imagery is meant to show that, that there needs to be a transition, but our transition is from older to younger. And uh, we're praying and trusting that that will continue. The next illustration is of the soldier. This is from the passage, verses 3 and 4. You therefore endure hardship as an ethical warrior of Jesus Christ. He used a military illustration here. And it seems reasonable since he's in a military prison. It seems reasonable that Rome was occupying virtually the entire world as an occupied country, that they had garrisons and troops and fortresses. Do you know what it's like to be in the army? Some do here, perhaps. Maybe most don't. My dad was with the Navy and the Air Force. Becky's dad was with the Air Force slash Army, both of which described how boot camp was pretty rough. And they would bounce quarters literally off the beds. If it didn't bounce, if, they would, if that quarter would not bounce up, your sheets were not tight enough. My dad used to make a big deal about the house cleanliness for that reason. All our lives we, we walked in fear that we would be touching the walls of the rooms and leave marks on those walls because they were not ours. They were going to be inspected when we left that barracks or that, that primary married quarters, PMQs. And uh, so, yeah, so all of these things that happen when you are in the military. But using the warrior illustration as a biblical usage, there were many warriors who were people of faith. David and Goliath, Gideon and his battle, the judges, Deborah, Barak, Joshua in Jericho, Hezekiah and Sennacherib. The list is long. So, Jesus has come to enlist us as soldiers. Have you noticed that these soldiers are together? There's no one soldier standing there by himself. He's a marked target if he stands by himself. I was 
thinking how different that is from our society today where everybody's an individual and nobody wants to work together. Nobody wants the collective disagreements that happen when you suddenly rub shoulders with somebody that doesn't see life the way you see it. I'm talking in the family of God here. But the soldiers marched together. If one guy forgot to take a bath that morning, you were marching beside a stinky soldier. And you had to put up with that person. And if that other person who was marching with you didn't get enough sleep the night before, and when you went into your formation where you put all of the shields over top of you, making like a kind of giant tortoise shell, and that was part of one of their moves, so that they could be protected from the arms that would be thrown at them, the spears and the arrows, and even some of the the flaming uh, uh, tar that would be thrown at them. And if that person wasn't in complete position and they were a little teetery or maybe just getting over a drinking bout, guess what happened? There's a chink in the group and you end up being influenced by the other person. Yes, the church is diverse. The church is a collection of imperfect human beings. We are soldiers working together for Jesus And the Bible speaks of things that we are called to do. Endurance was the quality that he asked for. He asked for endurance, but we have to move on to the next part. Because he said, endurance is what you need. Do it. Stay with it. I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they might turn salvation. That's what Paul said of of his life. And if we endure, we shall reign with him. And so, what was the next illustration? The winning sportsman. In Greece, where the Olympics was born, they would invite athletes from around the world to compete. And one of the things in particular was that the Greek games, the judges were most careful that you obeyed and enforced the rules. There was no options. You didn't get to uh, time out here, Judge. I, I have a special need here, and I want you to address that special need. No, it was like you were either in or you were out. And the judges were most careful about enforcing the rules. So Paul, as he re- reminds Timothy, you need to compete according to the rules. So what are the rules? What are the rules? We'll get to that in a moment. He goes on to talk about the next illustration, the sower, the farmer, the wealthy farmer. And he reminds Timothy that we are doing a work of sowing the seed. Matthew 13 is a great illustration as he's told the the disciples to uh, cast out the seed just like the farmer. Cast it out on good soil. And so it's work. It takes work. He has to work. It doesn't just happen. A farmer needs to have patience. James 5, 7 says how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the fall and spring rains. And a farmer deserves his share of the harvest. A hardworking farmer would be the first to receive a share of the crops. And so he says, remember, you're going to enjoy this blessing. But finally, remember Jesus. One of the commentators I was reading said this. 
I don't know if this has meaning for us in Canada, but it certainly does in the States. Remember the Alamo. Or remember Pearl Harbor, but I would say, you know, there's Canadian things that would fit perhaps better in that. But what he's really saying is, remember these. Let them motivate you. And what does he say? Remember Jesus Christ. That's what we did this morning. We came and remembered. We came and remembered what he did for us, how he died for us, how he gave his life for us, and how he has risen from the dead and is alive forevermore and is present with us right now. And so he says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember why we serve. Remember who we serve. Remember who we look to. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says we are to look to Jesus. Are we looking to him as we move forward? In Acts 2.42 it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking bread and in prayers. We gather once a month to remember the Lord in this fashion and that currently three or four other Sundays of the month, we remember the Lord in another fashion. Not quite as much technical, simple, without any musical instruments, just simple voices. Have you come to that meeting to remember the Lord? The interesting thing about Jesus when he gave his instructions about remembering him, he said, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. Not as seldom, but as often. I would encourage some to come out, if you feel led, to come out and remember the Lord at the 9.30 meeting. Remember that he came to die for us. And yes, we're grateful that all this group is here today. And we will continue to remember the Lord in this fashion, as I understand the instructions that are coming forward. But at the same time, let's take a moment to remember the Lord at 9.30 as well. And then, finally, we have this. His reminder at the end is a kind of a reflection of who Paul is. If we stand behind the bars, we shall be co-regents reigning with him. Paul, in the eyes of the world, was called a loser. He was behind bars. He was a nobody. He was somebody that was waiting his execution. But he was one who knew he would be reigning with Jesus someday soon. Do you call yourself a nobody? There's a song out right now, sort of, I'm just a nobody. I kind of like that. Kind of goes along with my favorite number, zero. We live for Jesus. We don't live for the world's accolades. And we're looking forward to his glory and his reign. Now, just to keep you positive, I went to this site called the Death Clock. Yeah, it's actually a place on the Internet. Punch in a few data about yourself and you can find out when you're going to die. Isn't that wonderful? Real positive way to end, Dave. Thanks. So what you do is you punch in your, your information and they want you to know your BMI, body mass index. Uh, they have a really simplified formula. And I'll tell you, it's really simplified and not too accurate because it said I was grossly obese. And that's not accurate. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
I am in that category that's there. So, why do I bring this up? Well, because we all need to know that the day is coming. Hebrews 9.27, appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. We sometimes stop at the first. You have an appointment to make. Don't forget, when we tell people we have an appointment with death, we also remind them that Christ was offered to take your place. And there is an answer for that appointment, and it is in Jesus. And that is why we preach the gospel, why we share, why we love to see you here. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And so, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. It's got to be real belief and it's got to be genuine confession. I'm speaking from a guy who knows how to ungenuinely confess Christ. So please, if you're going to confess Jesus, you're surrendering to him. He is the king of all. He will have no other gods before him, including you. So don't you go into the throne room of God saying, oh, by the way, Jesus, you uh, get to uh, give me the ticket ride to heaven, but I get to make all the decisions. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he is only lord of you if you truly acknowledge him as lord. And so, I trust and pray that in all of this, you will hear his voice, hear his knock, and come to faith in him. I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward with their final hymn, and then we'll have a a little opportunity to close. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We have sung out, I have decided to follow Jesus. Perhaps this morning someone has said that from their heart for the first time. Lord, we pray that that heartfelt cry, I have decided to follow Jesus, will have been with surrendered heart, with the acknowledgement that you are God. That you love us incredibly. No good thing will you withhold to those who walk uprightly, you have said. And so, Lord, we walk forward without fear. We walk forward trusting you, knowing that heaven is our home. And so we pray, Lord, that you will bless each one as we separate. Someone who was in need of prayer or further discussion, Lord, the prayer room is always opened. And so we ask that you will just depart us with your peace. And bless us as we separate in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.